Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I'm here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and today's topic is 11 Common Stereotypes, How to Make Them Real People. Uh, this is this is going to be a fun topic, I think, because Holly and I are very excited about it. Yes. <laughs> but before we get into it, as always, let's talk about what we did this week. Go ahead, Holly. All right. Wow. This <laughs> this has been an amazing week for me, but not just that. This has been an amazing morning for me. So I'm going to start with the amazing week and then kind of work down to the amazing morning. Um, I have been working on three novels simultaneously. Uh, along with writing how to write a novel. and you're crazy. Well, it was, yeah, I, I probably am a little crazy, yes. But it was this realization that I was, um, I, I've, been, I've been struggling with um, Emerald Sun, and I have been struggling with the Wishbone Conspiracy, and trying to get these two novels you know, I, I wanted to write them, and I'm doing Dead Man's Party, and I, I've been doing backgrounding and you know, all of this piddling around stuff. And last week, I thought, you know, I am writing one hour on Dead Man's Party per week. And at the end of 38, 30, 30, 31 weeks, actually, at the end of 31 weeks, I'm going to have a completed novel working one hour a week one hour a week and this kept running through my head and I thought what if I were just writing three novels at the same time I could do that Piers Anthony did that and and I we had emailed back and forth a little bit and he had and I think he's probably also talked about this elsewhere but he explained his system which is that he had this this um he would work on writing one novel he would work on outlining a second novel, and he would work on revising a third novel so that at any given time, on any given day, he had a couple of hours where he would do writing. Then he would do a couple of hours where he would do um, either revision or outlining. I don't know which one. but And then the, the last couple of hours, he would do those other things. And he just was prolific as hell at this point. And, yeah. and it was... It was so cool to hear how he did that, and then I never used it. And I never. And well, I don't. I don't think that's true. I think you never, like, you never consciously used it. But the fact that you are writing fiction, planning classes, creating classes, I think that 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 went into your head, and you used some of what you have learned from him. In just little ways, but you didn't realize it. That is a really good point. I, I hadn't actually <laughs> thought about that because, yeah, I have been writing classes while coming up with ideas for classes while also writing fiction. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know. But now I'm now I'm doing three books plus that. <laughs> yes. So, so over the last week, um, last week I got started. I had kind of outlined some of the Wishbone Conspiracy. And... Yesterday on that, I wrote the first chapter, and it's and, wow. and it took me 
I, I gave myself like three hours, I think, because I had a little extra time yesterday. I was already caught up on the lesson. And I well, thought, plus it's Saturday, and you don't usually work on Saturday. Well, yeah, but you that's, had your doctor's that's true, appointment. too. Well, actually, yeah. you know, that's the theory is that I don't actually work on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that hasn't been working out too well in real life. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but, so I worked for three hours on, on you know, I, I had the outline set up. I had done some, just some basic concepts that I put in there. And all of a sudden I knew how it started. So I just started writing and I have the first chapter done. Um, so this morning I woke up with... The Emerald Sun, the last book in the Moon and Sun series with these two things. And I am going to be very careful. I, I have been trying to figure out because I have been digging through the books and writing down all of these notes and struggling to get this idea of, of how to bring this story to a really good close. And this morning I woke up and my muse said, you remember the skillet scene? which was one of my very favorite scenes from the first book. And I thought, oh yeah, I remember the skillet scene. And then it asked me a question and I can't, well, I guess, yeah. (laughs) No, 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 don't don't give anything away though. Yeah, yeah. But it asked me this one question, which I wrote down. And I, while I was waiting for you to come in this morning, I outlined on two pages of very tight writing the entire ending of the book. That is so cool. And it was just, I was so excited. I told Matt, I told him the two things that, that I come up, I had come up with. And I said, that's it. That's it. That's, I don't know yet how it fits together, but those two things are what matters and how I'm going to pull all of this together in these books and write them. And, and so now I know enough that I can start writing Moon and Sun. Oh, that's awesome. So I can be doing... Uh, Dead Man's Party for one hour a day. I can be doing Moon and Sun for one hour a day for two days. I can be doing um, Wishbone Conspiracy, yeah, for one hour a day for two days, get all of my Patreon hours in, work on three books at the same time, and still get the class done. That's amazing. (laughs) So, yeah, it's been, oh, yeah. And the other thing is that tip that you gave me about the bullet journal. Oh yes, yes, the video. If anybody wants to see it, we'll link the video in um, in the show notes. Yes, but that thing, um, I went out and I bought a book about it, and I already had dot dot notebooks. So, and I hadn't used them for anything because I just buy notebooks sometimes when I'm out in in <laughs> yep. an office supply mood. So I dug around through all of my notebooks, my empty ones, and I found one with dots. And I thought, okay. This is probably going to be a complete waste of time. It's probably not going to work any better than anything else I've ever tried. This kicks ass. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I am I am like the minimalist of bullet journalers. I have my yes. my to do list on there, and then I have uh, my notes for what happened that day that w- was important, and that's it. That's all I got. I'm not tracking anything. I do need to put yeah. birthdays and things in there. Yeah, but yeah, because I forgot to do that. But well, that's the thing about the bujo too, and I I that's one thing where it's easier to say bujo, but I say it. <laughs> Because listeners might know, you know, mm-hmm. oh, like, oh, that's what that is. And actually, one of your listeners, I, uh, she was following me, and then I saw, like, one of her comments. I clicked on it, and she's a Wiccan that uses the bullet journaling system, but hers is more uh, geared towards the kind of trendier ones. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's um, – that – 
is so what I have been looking for for so long. And I started back in the mid, early to mid 2000s, trying to find a good system for myself for organization. I've read Getting Things Done. I've read, uh, I can't even go through all of the stuff. And Getting Things Done is amazing. The brain dump, the open loops, Mm -hmm. just everything that's in there is incredible. Um, But it doesn't give you a practical system. Writer Carol's system, which I saw, I think, three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I had seen it as it was becoming popular with minimalists, but Uh before it got totally trendy. Yeah. So at the same time, I was already two years into my decluttering of the house. So when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, this is so, so great. This is perfect for being an artist and a writer too, Mm -hmm. because we have, we tend to have so much going on creatives that it's nice to have one simple place to have everything. And then just over the years, I've tried different things, but really I've just ended up minimalizing it down to very, very basics. But yeah, anyway, um, what else for your week? Was that it? Yeah. So that was my week. That was was a really good week. (laughs) I I also had a really good week, but you're kind of aware of that. Um, Yes. So last week I started a new project, which I'll go into in a minute, but Monday through Thursday, I got... Um, all of my words plus some, I had some really, really fascinating, excellent days where the words were just flowing. What's weird is sometimes you're in the flow and you're typing madly and typing madly and your word count's still small. And I can type up to maybe 80 to 90 words per minute. Yeah. You smoke me. You yeah. Do, and man. You're just damn. Occasionally <laughs> I've even done the 500 words in the 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, and now accuracy I have no idea. A lot of it's wrong. I don't give a shit about accuracy because, you know, especially now that I have really learned how to put myself in that zone. And I, even though my inner critic sometimes pops up, I still work on, okay, well, you can revise. Mm-hmm. You can bitch when you revise. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> so <laughs> this is, um, but it's funny because this week has been more or less like, I feel like I'm flying. And then the words are still like maybe 180 to 300 words per minute. And that, that can be sometimes kind of lower for me. But man, I'm getting these candy bar scenes. I'm, I'm writing through these characters. I'm finding different things left and right. And I finally got them to... Now, I said to hook up in the forums, but they haven't even gotten to that part yet. Um, they just, they, they kind of met and it's this train crash and this explosion and this, <laughs> this big thing. And I was like, wow, that was way more powerful when I was writing it than I thought. But I've been waiting. It's almost halfway through the book. You know, I'm yeah. at, I'm, I'm writing the first draft at 50 K. The end is going to be 70 K. I'm over 30 K and they just got together. Like they just kissed for the first time because there's so wow. much story going on. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Plus, the very last um, book, they had their storyline. Now, Angie was point of view. We never actually got to. But Brock, we got to see a little bit from him, Mm -hmm. from his point of view, because he was kind of like the side character. And I was building him up for the second book. And you could see through character interactions, through his point of view, through the main character's point of view about Angie, you could see that they, they still had something there. But... They weren't together. They, you know, like Angie was kind of brokenhearted. And in my view, Angie, Angie has always really been in love with him. So this is kind of just like killing her because he was not always in love with her the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some stuff in their past that will eventually explain that. I hope you know when people read it. But 
when, and it's funny because when I was writing the scene where they finally get together, it turned out that she's kind of a beast. <laughs> I texted you this. Yes, you did. <laughs> and like, Angie don't play. <laughs> Like, I have found out that Angie has has kept herself from being with him out of respect for his choice, which is really weird because she doesn't, she doesn't outwardly respect his choice. She thinks it's bullshit. She wants to be with him. She doesn't know why he's playing around, why he's messing with her and stuff. Uh-huh. But she accepted it. The minute that she realized that, that oh, wait, this is going to happen, bam, she was on him. It was... <laughs> I was like, damn, where the hell did this come from? Because he thinks he's he's in that guy mode of going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there she is. Got to get her. And and then when he does, it's like she she turns on her beast mode and he's like, "Oh shit, what have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> so this this was really interesting and I'm really really coming to love these two characters more than than I think I thought was possible, and I don't know what the hell I'm going to do for for book three because I have other characters that I don't really care so much. I just want to keep writing Brock and Angie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but, when you get into them, you'll get them. Yeah, you yeah, will. oh yeah, That's... absolutely. And I, I have, I have really cool stories for for probably, oh, I don't know, endless. I, there's endless amounts of stories that I could write in Wanda Lucia. But yeah. the other thing, the new project that I started this yeah, month yeah, 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 or yeah. this week, yeah, you're <laughs> um. You had mentioned before to everybody that you wanted me to do covers for things like Talon, for, you know, um, the R. Hell novels, which actually you have decent covers for now. Mm-hmm. And then you have decided to put out um, updated v- versions of Hunting the Corgan's Blood and War Paint. So you're like, okay, as fast as you can get these particular covers done, I need them. So I have been working on Katie and Hunting the Corrigan's Blood this entire week. <laughs> Yes. And that is why on Friday and Saturday, I did not write, but I instead spent a lot of my time doing, you know, Katie and the covers. And I was like, there's this mixture of excitement and and fear and utter, you know, just like these moments, like I'm not good enough to do this, to create this, even though I know that there's a lot that I've done working off of references where my my images and my drawings look really accurate and really good. Mm-hmm. <sighs> creating a character from somebody else's description alone is rough. <laughs> yeah. It is really, really tough. And I said it was six or seven um, references for her eyes alone, but I forgot about the two with the epicanthal folds. Wow. So eight. Eight references for her eyes alone just to make sure that I'm getting the right kind of of look, you know, because you have to have all of these little details, and then you also have to have it facing the right way. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, so you, you have seen Yeah, the, seen the, the experience I had, Becky sent me um, some of it. She, now, they're roughs. The, what she sent me was roughs. Yeah, um, the first one not... was, was horrible. It was just <clears throat> a bunch of loose sketches. Yeah. With the color tones, right, right, and then the the later ones have have a lot of a lot of the stuff put in, but not finished yet. And it was it was this moment where for I have known Caden Strick for about twenty years. Yeah, I have you know she has been this person in my brain 
for about 20 years. And when Becky sent me those pictures, it was the first time I ever got to see her face. And it's like, oh, I know you. It was, holy crap, there you are. And it's, a, it's like having this friend on the internet that you finally get to meet in person. And, yes. and you go, oh, yeah, you're exactly who I thought you were going to be. And there she was. And I was, oh, my God, I was so thrilled. I was so happy. And, yeah, so... <clears throat> So that was that was a real. I get. I'm getting a little teary-eyed here. I'm trying to kind of fight this back, man, because this was something that was so huge for me. And she is my favorite of all the characters I have ever written, all of them. And I have written a hell of a lot of characters. And Caden Strake is my absolute favorite. I love her. And there she is. You know, this and she, is, yeah. That's that's why that the the face alone has taken probably about. 12 hours to do yeah with with the initial uh reference studying with the flat flat image that i sent you that you were okay with and then then the sketch without any color or anything mm-hmm. like that the hair and then just the face i haven't even touched the hair i haven't even done the the design for the outfit just yet right. or i mean the rough design you've seen it but um her face alone has taken 12 hours because this is your favorite character. Nobody has ever gotten her right. Yeah. You know, they've, they've done their, their versions right. of them. They've done their but... versions of her, but it has never been her. Yeah. And yeah. this is and her. That... This is <laughs> her. It's like, there she is. Oh my God. Yeah, seriously. I went through I so the... many layers of fear and, and worry. Aw. <laughs> ah. there, there goes the tears. <laughs> It was, it was, uh, it, it's been an honor to be able to do this cover for her too and create the face because I love the series too. And like I told you when we, we kept talking about it, it's a dream job because there's so much creative freedom that I have with her. Mm-hmm. And I'm also working with somebody who knows I've never done a cover before. You know what I mean? It's, it's right. just, it's really amazing this is how I would think that all artists would want to break into doing covers and stuff. Yeah. You know? Oh, and I'm going to tell them one thing you did. I'm not going to tell them what it is, but I'm going to tell them what it is. Oh. <laughs> is she she read through the book, and she found this one critical event in Katie's life when she was a little girl. And she found the one important symbol of that event, the thing that changed her life, that made her, that set her on on the path to being who she is. And she put this thing on the spaceship. I'm thinking of it as the dashboard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's the control (laughs) panel. I I call it the console. Yeah. Yeah. The console, the control panel uh, of the hope's reward. She put it on, on the dashboard there. And I saw it and I thought, Son of a bitch. Not only is that perfect, not only is that absolutely what she would have done, but that's going into the next book. 
And that made me cry. Yeah. When you sent me that text. Yeah. Because I had I had been so excited about this one little thing. Because this is fan art at the at the top here. <laughs> okay. This is this is what I was telling you. It's like all these people that like watch Firefly and they're artists and they create these shipper pictures of an Anara and Mal or any you know like Wash being a ghost and Zoe still like interacting with him or something like that. Mm-hmm. This this was to me as powerful as those because it was such a an integral part of her but it was such a little thing and i was like this is fan art right here this is this is capturing something that wasn't in the original mm-hmm. but but fits yeah. and to me that's why i had to send it to you I, it was killing me that's what and i even <laughs> sent you that text i'm like can i please share this secret thing i told you about because it's killing me and you're like yeah, yeah sure of course so i sent yeah. it and it was like yeah yeah. yeah and then you you said it was going in the next book and that was it man a tear like not tears like crazy bawling but like my <laughs> eyes watered yeah. and i got all all freaking excited like i have technically time does not exist i told this to tony and he's he's like rolling his eyes and i'm, I'm such a dork to him <laughs> yeah. but i'm like i have affected the past and the future yes i am i time does not exist <laughs> yes yes you you have time traveled into the past fixed the past and it's going to show up in the future you did that. Awesome. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, so yeah, this has been a long what did we do this week, but we're oh, both very excited and My God, can't it's wait. been a great week. Yeah. <laughs> I really I really can't wait to release the um the cover too. Like to to be able to to have you show everybody and and just if you're one of the our listeners, just remember I'm I'm not technically a professional. Um I'm using a medium like my best mediums are usually pencil and then acrylic so i'm using the digital my my huion canvas pro 13 and i'm using sketchbook pro so those are really great things they're they're you can create professional grade work but again this is this is a little bit new to me i think it looks really good her face mm-hmm. but there's just i'm going to be able to get better in the future so just bear with me <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so our topic again is 11 common stereotypes, how to make them real people. And um, yeah, this was something we were talking about yesterday and, and this is exciting and fun and I can't wait to get into it. Yes. Yes. And we have, we have really good stereotypes for you too. We I have so. <laughs> the evil villain, the badass chick, the tough hero, the ditzy friend, uh, the comic relief sidekick, the angsty teen, the angry jerk, the henchman. The stormtrooper red shirt cannon fodder, the infinitely superpowered whatever, and the selfless hero. And yes, I love all of these. Yes, we did. We did a good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we did. We we sat we sat around yesterday and brainstormed for a little while, figuring out who it was we wanted to actually fix. And yeah. so what we are going to do here is give you the basics of who these guys are. As well, stereotypes. Also, yeah, we wanted to let you know, too, is that there is a myriad of stereotypes. Oh, yeah. Just, just a ton of them. And we, you know, can't cover all of them in an episode and keep it within, you know, our, our normal already long length for the, <laughs> for the podcast. Yeah. So what Holly will do is give you the fundamentals um, in which that this kind of thing can help create uh, the, the same 
ability with whatever stereotypes that you have. Exactly. This is a process. This is not yeah. like a one-off thing where with an evil villain, you have to fix it the exact same way every time. This yeah. is how do you make your stereotypical evil villain into your villain with more. Yeah. And it's the same. We're just giving you 11 different examples of this kind of process. Exactly. Um, and giving you a wide variety as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we tried to be very broad here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's get into it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's start with the evil villain. What to you, what, what are the characteristics of a stereotypical evil villain? Well, he, he has to want to um, destroy the world, I think, is one, even though he is living on it. <laughs> um, you know, it, all of his actions have to be utterly just evil, just cruel. Um, maybe he's dressed in all black. He's ugly. He's, he may be, like, physically altered and evil-looking and, and kind of like a monster and... But, but I think most of it is just his actions are, are not even anar- anarchy-based mm-hmm. or it, it, it just doesn't, like, okay, even if you were looking at taking it away from that silliness and you're looking at something in maybe a, a romance novel or, or something or a suspense novel, he has to be a monster without reason, mm-hmm. without logic. Um, so somebody who who is obsessed with their end goal without any clear motivation, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Why, why is he so evil? Yes. Um, for me also, there is this, this thing that there is nothing that he cares about saving. Nothing that, that it's, it, it, there is, he brings nothing personal, nothing, um, core to his, himself into this thing. There is no reason behind why he is this evil, no history of what he, what put him from, from, or, or even if there is, sometimes there is a history of why he is so evil, but it is, um, I think of it as one dimensional character, uh, one-dimensional uh, comic book, yeah. where and I, and I have to say, having read a number of really good comic books, that this is not um, saying that all comic book villains are one-dimensional. Some of them are really, really good. Yeah, but, but you get a lot of the knockoffs that try to do like the X Men knockoffs or something yeah. like that. Then you get these flat, dull characters. Yeah, where the the evil guy he he drank a serum and he became evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. or, you know, he was hit by radioactive, uh, a bolt of radioactivity and he became evil. Um, yeah. and that's, there, there has to be something to the character. So, so there are some questions that you ask, okay, what's wrong with this character? And this is why, do, why is this character, um, what what put him where he is okay and this this can't be well he was hit by a bolt of radioactive lightning and well, he became evil i mean there I kind of there there's one example that i want to kind of give out okay and it's Fedara conte oh is that how Fedora, you pronounce yeah. it 
Yeah, Fedara. Fedara mm-hmm. Conte from Hunting the Corrigan's Blood. Because, of course, that's what I'm reading right now, and that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to mention. Um, she, While it's not technically the same thing, it is kind of like her getting a serum. Her, her getting injected with something. Mm-hmm. And she's evil, but she's... I love the idea behind it because that character is so complex. She was a good person, and now she is a good person who does incredibly evil things to survive. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't want to survive. (laughs) Have you read the Longview Chronicles yet? I have read not the last two or three. Okay. So I'm restarting it once I'm done with Warpaint because Warpaint is the next cover I'm doing, Mm -hmm. so I'll be be reading that. But don't give me any spoilers or anything. Okay. I will just tell you she comes back in the Longview Chronicles. Well, I assumed so because you asked about the Longview Chronicles, Mm -hmm. and I love that because I really love that character. But it's just, she did kind of have that injection, Mm -hmm. that serum kind of history, but you still made her a complex antagonist. Right. And she was a a smaller antagonist, but she was still there. Yeah. And she was helpful too, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but she was, she she had done some incredibly evil things and she did in fact kind of get hit by a serum yeah um so yeah yeah so what is wrong with her what what is wrong with this character that makes this character evil in this case and you have to come up with something deeper than just they're evil you have to come up with a past thing that put them there and then after what's wrong with this character you ask what is necessary with this character and uh, let's use Fedora Conti. I, yeah, I won't. I I'm not going to go great. past hunting the Corrigan's blood because that's all anybody needs to know about her to get started into the series, and I don't want to give that away. But we'll start with the first question on there. Yeah. Well, the Fidara. first question on there was okay. okay well, what's wrong with this character? What's wrong with this character is that she was given, uh, she was made a test subject in an experiment, uh, in which she unwittingly. Was, yeah, un- unwillingly, yeah, involuntarily, she was used by someone really bad um, who was a serious villain, uh, who, who was in search of power uh, and who was willing to do anything to get it and who wanted to live forever. And so he made her his test subject, and she was the first one who had survived. Okay. Uh, so there are some things from that that I can't go into any further, but that's that she became involuntarily kind of like him, but she was still the same person on the inside. There were things about herself that she could not control and they were horrible, horrible things, but inside she was still herself. Okay. And while she might not be a villain in parts of Hunting the Corrigan Blood, she was still a villain to her victims. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this still I still think this counts. Yeah, that counts, man. Yeah. That counts. <laughs> there were there were people who mm. Yes. So she was she was very bad and she did some very very bad things. But there's more to the story. And it's it's important in the next two books. <laughs> so what's the next question? Okay, and the next question there is what's necessary with this character? In her case, what's necessary is that, yes, she was really bad. She was doing terrible things. She could not even stop herself from doing these terrible things. But what's necessary to her was that she wanted 
to find the way to not do them. She wanted to find her path out. Um, and that's, the, um, then you look, okay, so when you figure out what's necessary, you ask, what is outside of the expected that motivates this character? And the fact, the, the fact that she was an involuntary um, person in this thing that was done to her is that outside thing that she was a genuine, I mean, she had had an absolutely horrific childhood. Horrific. See, but that's that's not in Hunting the Corgan's no, Blood. No, really. it's not. All you know is that she was in love with this guy that she had just met. I mean, she mm-hmm. just, she had fallen for him. She didn't know that that was a trick as well. Mm-hmm. And, and then she woke up the next day, just the next three days, she was miserably sick. Mm-hmm. And, and from there, bad things happened. And, and she did them. She did yeah. bad things. So, but as you build out, as you are asking yourself, who is this person? You have to find out what motivates them. Why? Why are they not just the part that you see, but why are they also the part that you don't see? And yeah. I knew I knew when I wrote her that there was more about her that I wanted to follow up on. And it became well, important in, in the second book, and then it became phenomenally important in the what is essentially the third book, which is the Longview Chronicles. The Longview, yeah. Yeah. Well, now I was thinking, let's take a villain who is absolutely a villain let's do these the same same questions let's look at dan and zoe then okay in the same in the same series in the same series yeah okay because i was thinking you could go for either figash or you could go for um in the secret text the guy who's all gnarled and really really evil Mm -hmm. but yeah let's let's go with dan as yeah let's go with dan and zoe because dan and zoe is this this guy um who was always motivated by power he wanted to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to change the world, and that is always a bad motivation. There is no exception to that rule. <laughs> there make is the world a better place is a better term for people who want to change the world in a positive way. Right. Yes. But, make yeah. the world a better place is within, within reason, where if you are doing it by changing yourself, but if you are trying to force other people into your vision of the future, yeah. that is 100% a bad thing. And he, that was him. That was the definition of him. And he wasn't even really looking at it in a benign fashion because Dan is always, and I'm, okay, Hunting the Corgan's Blood has been out since the late 90s. Yeah. Okay, so there is going to be a little bit of a spoiler alert in here <laughs> on this because really I have to be able to discuss this, to discuss this book with you. And this yeah. has been out for a while. Okay, guys, so Dan Zoe was a big fan of the vampire mythos. Um, you know, this is a couple, this is maybe more than a thousand years, maybe, maybe, maybe 800 to a thousand years in the future from our time now. Our timeline, okay, and we don't have to get too much into it because we'll do we'll do our our podcast on our episodes on each of the books, and I think right, but but we can at least give some backstory and right. stuff. So so he was he was an old Earth history buff, but not old Earth real history. Yeah. He was into old Earth mythology, and in the far future, it is possible 
to do amazing things with with recombinant DNA, with genetic engineering, with with just changing just the little parts of the human genome that you want to change to do things like make yourself live almost forever or to um, allow yourself to shape shift or to um, add a little bit of tiger DNA into or heal your... His, heal um, uh, super quickly. Right, or heal super quickly or qu- quickly <laughs> or um, drink blood. Uh, as your your sole source of food, if you wanted to do that. And it turns out, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a vampire. He wanted to be that guy who could make people fall in love with him, who could make people do whatever he told them to do, who could make them want him to drink their blood until they were dead, and that was the kind of, that he wanted them to get off on him killing them. You know, he, this is not a nice guy. And this is a guy who had worked his way up in, in, to, uh, in, in Cantata, which is one of the biggest cities in one of the biggest and most civilized planets um, in settled space. Um, one of the first places that was settled, it just, you know, and he had worked himself up into his position of power as, as one of the city councilmen there. You know, one of the people in this big city, but he hadn't gone any farther than that. And he wanted more. It, the, the thing is, there is a backstory for your character. And if you have not asked that backstory, which is, why does he want what he wants? Um, what motivates this character to do this thing, in this case, be really super evil? Um, you are missing most of the story. And you can see how interesting and, and how in-depth Holly goes with all of this, too. Because, she just, I mean, that, that character alone, I could have picked any one of her villains and she would have done the exact same thing. Just get into all of the history, all of the motivation, and it's the same thing. And, and that's basically what you need to create these in-depth characters is this history you need to know what motivates your villains yeah yeah and it's it's um it's tough to well and even beyond this actually dan Zoe isn't the one who came up with the vampire thing that was somebody else because <laughs> the person who actually came up with it and haskell corrigan were working together ah. um and dan Zoe kind of got hold of the the scientific research after it was done so he was a second-hander. He was not even the guy who came up with this shit. He was just the guy who latched on and said, yeah, that's me. I want to be that guy. So what are the other questions for the villain that, that we could answer with okay. him? Um, what does this character secretly desire? And this particular character, it wasn't so much living forever, although that appeals to him. Yeah. It, it was being able to snap his fingers and have whoever it was that he was looking at do what he wanted, no matter how horrible that thing was for that person, that he wanted to be that guy. And see, this is different than just power. Okay, yeah. this is, this is, this is, oh, he wants power. No, okay, well, further boil that down. What kind of power does your villain want? He wants dominance. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this is this is this is what Danis wants. Danis mm-hmm. wanted a very very clear kind of power. So if you're looking at a villain who is motivated by power, which many are, you have to boil that down like Holly has with Danis. Yeah. Now see the interesting thing with with the person who shall not be named and Haskell Corrigan who were working together is that that's not what they were looking for. They were not genuinely looking for power. They were looking for I want to live forever. Yeah. Which I, I, you know, I would kind of jump on that myself, because <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I, I have at least five hundred years worth of more books that I could be writing. Yes, <laughs> at my current speed. <laughs> so, um, at three books a a week. Yes, at three books a week. <laughs> um. So then, what is this character's greatest point of pain? Now, this is a hard question. If you are writing a villain. This is this tends to be the question you overlook. Okay, because there is a point of pain somewhere in this character's past. And with Dan and Zoe, it's very hard to allow yourself to look at that point of pain. Because then he becomes a little bit sympathetic. Dan yeah. and Zoe, okay? Haskell Corrigan, you know, he lost some people that he loved, and he was trying to find a way to not lose any more, so he was working on immortality. He hooked up with this other guy who wanted something a little different, but but they were kind of together on it. But Dan Oe was this guy who had been picked on a lot, who had, had never been dominant, and, and even when he became this this councilman in the city he wasn't the top dog he wasn't the most important guy in the room he never he never got what he thought was the respect that he deserved and that became this this little poison kernel down in the very bottom of his soul back when he still had one that that fed this ravenous hunger to look at anyone at the at and he wasn't all that great looking either you know he wasn't yeah he wasn't the gorgeous guy that women fawned over so when he read the vampire mythos he thought oh my god i want to be that guy yeah i want to be dracula I See, and I think that's perfect, though. I think that's perfect. That's exactly the kind of motivation that would lead up to. Um, but but then you also have Katie, who mm-hmm. has had kind of a lot of the exact same upbringing. Right. You know, the, the same problems with, um, you know, her, her genetic looks caused her a lot of problems. It causes her constantly, even now, a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that she keeps her natural looks. She doesn't change them um, intentionally just to live an easier life. Right. Which genetically she could. No, she is She is the way she looks. She is a Mary's child. That's not, you know, she doesn't change it. Mm-hmm. And it. she turned out a very different person. So it's not like you're saying, oh, if people get bullied, they turn evil. No. It's it's this is the two this is two different paths for characters who went through a similar situation and what they take. Exactly. And I love that. Exactly. That is exactly what it is. And that yeah. was exactly what it was intended to be from the very beginning. Is and and, she, and Badger too. Yeah. You know, Badger they, was an albino, yeah. Yeah. So these two kids ended up on one side of a spectrum with this other guy on this uh, who who had the same sort of shit to get through 
but they chose one path. They chose to be people they could look in the, at in the mirror, and he chose to make the mirror go away. Yeah. You yeah. know, to, to, to be, you know, and the, the, the vampires that we have in this book, they can actually see themselves in mirrors, but that was just kind yeah. of, it was in a philosophical sense. He chose to make the mirror go away. He chose to be, never have to look at himself in the mirror, never have to see what it was that he was doing to other people. He just made the whole thing, the whole world was him, and everything else was, existed to serve him. Okay, so once you have found that point of pain, then you ask, what is this character's greatest passion? And again, this can be a sympathetic thing and is going to make you look at villains sympathetically and to say, okay, well, you know, at what point in his life did he have something that he was passionate about that did not involve forcing other people to do things they don't want to do. And he was in love with a girl. And she was pretty. And she, he, he tried. He, he, he did what he could to get her to see him. But she never did. And she went off and married the guy who he hated most of all. Or, you know, not, I don't know if they even married, but they, they ended up... The guy that he hated most of all, this this good-looking, popular, whatever guy, got her. Mm. And yeah. he didn't get past that. He didn't get past that because he had one thing he wanted, and he didn't get to have that. So now he gets yeah, to have Instead it. of growing up, instead of learning and, and moving on mm-hmm. and finding somebody else yeah he let that eat him up yeah there and and we all have those moments that we all yeah have these things that we want so bad we can taste them and you have to look at your life and say well there are only so many things you can have and if i can't have that and i and you know, i i am thinking of specific things right now man that i just i wanted i wanted so bad and could never have and it was a case of well i can't I cannot have that thing. I cannot be that person. So what can I do with what I can't have? And yeah, that's, and it's priorities about what in your life is most important. And right. It, and so when you put that into characters, it's the same thing, and it makes them deeper and more rich. Right, and he had that choice. He could have looked at what she was and said, you know what? It's not that I'm not good enough for her. It's that she's not good enough for me. She didn't see what was good about me. So I'll find somebody who will. But no. No. It was, I will make that bitch love me. Yep. And she was, you know, I never got into that that part of the backstory in the book, but she was his first victim. Wow. Oh, damn. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that didn't even make it into the book. That did not even make the cut. But that's, she was his first victim. See, but it's good that it didn't make the cut in a way because it shows that you still have to know it. Yeah. Because that matters. Right. Because it, it, it creates part of the character. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. So then after the greatest point of pain, the greatest passion, there is one more question. What secret has this character been hiding from you? Okay. From you, the writer? From you, the writer. Yeah. There is That's something cool. you have not 
this character has not yet told you. And how you find this, and this, this is one of those places where you, your editor, and you, your writer, sit there together, and you interview this third person, which is you, the pretend character, and, <laughs> and you this. do. Yep. Yes. Oh, yeah. There are so many people. There are so many invisible people in the room with you right now. It just ain't even funny. Yeah, and you interview, you're interviewing an invisible care, a person. Yes. You know, I've, I've done that. Even in the bathroom, I'll sit there and I, I run through these these questions and answer sessions and, and just, it's crazy. Yes. And you were saying, okay, what haven't you told me? There is, you have a secret and I, I am listening and you have this secret. And what is the secret? Um, and the, you, you, and I don't remember his secret. I know that I had it at the time, but this has been 20 years ago. Yeah. I remembered yeah. all this other stuff. I don't remember what his secret was, but it was something that may allowed me to make him not just, uh, not just this, this one dimensional villain. It, it had something to do with the shape shifting being really important. Um, Oh fuck. Yes. That was it. it is when he told me that he wasn't good looking. Oh, that was his secret? That was his secret. Because, you know, oh. I had been writing him, and he was this good-looking guy. Ah. And his secret was that he didn't start out good-looking, that he was this kind of scrawny, homely guy. And so that was it. it. Nice. <laughs> yes. That's cool. But that that's as small of a secret as that is, mm-hmm. that alters the perception of the character. Right. Because he wanted to look however he wanted to look. He wanted to be the best looking guy in the room. And he was willing to do anything to get that. Just makes me think of Bram Stoker's Dracula. When you when you first meet Gary Oldman as Dracula, he is this old, just decrepit, ancient motherfucker. I mean, he's just just (laughs) and he looks like he hasn't had water in forever because he's just so desiccated. I remember. yeah. Yeah. And then when he shows up in the city to meet uh, Mia, I think was her name. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, but it, it was um, Winona Ryder's character. He is absolutely gorgeous <laughs> with the big top hat and the, the wavy hair and the blue eyes and those, those I think, purple glasses. And the, oh, my God, that man is gorgeous. And that's Dracula. That's a vampire. I know you're just laughing because I'm still obsessed with Gary Oldman. Um, I- Twenty-two so, years well, later, you know, I, he is an amazing character actor. He is brilliant, but that man has never been gorgeous. <laughs> oh, he is absolutely gorgeous. And I was eleven, I think, not eleven when I first saw him in, yes. in that movie. So this is twenty-four years later. And Eve Air Force One. I'm sorry, but he he is handsome. He, he's a hunk. <laughs> and it's funny too because, like, if you if you hear him talk normally, he he's not those characters. No, he has a very high pitched kind of voice, and it's it's he's not manly, so definitely not the the real guy. It's just him and everything. <laughs> but that's the point. His yes. the point is that, that he is changed exactly himself into this just gorgeous man, and he had the power in his eyes and everything like that. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's now it. I'm, now I'm stuck on Gary Oldman. <laughs> Oh, I'm telling Tony. <laughs> no, shut up. He doesn't listen to the podcast either, so I'm safe. All um, right. So, yeah. so that's are it. we going to the badass yes, chick? Yes, we are going to the s- badass chick. 
and we'll Are go they through the it same little... questions. Yeah, it's the same questions. Have... Okay. Okay. Cool. So yeah, these... yeah and we're going to run through these a little faster. Um, yeah, because we we were able to give everything in that first one a right. big deep. Yeah. So now with the badass chick, is it the same thing that we what? Okay. What makes a badass chick? Yeah. Or... Yeah. What makes a badass chick to you? Um, the stereotypical. Yeah, the stereotypical okay. one-dimensional badass chick. Yeah, no, no feminine. Like she might be good-looking. Like she might have like the the boobs and the butt and mm-hmm. the small waist and the the perfect hair and the the skimpy costume or something. But she is very very unfeminine. You know, she's she's more masculine than anything else. Dude and drag. Um, yeah, basically, basically, it's 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 like a really really hot chick on the outside, but it's a man on the inside. It's like she knows everything about all of the weapons. She fights better than men. She's uh, or equal to men. She is as strong as men. She as um, which which to me, and and not trying to be political or anything here. To me, reading this kind of chick is annoying because it. It basically takes away the strengths that we have as women. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's, yes, and and it's she's so flat. She she is um as quote insensitive as some of the other you know male characters. She doesn't have any compassion. She has no, you know. And I'm not saying all women have motherly tendencies. No, but that's that some some women do, and she has none of that. But she has none of like they like none of them ever like you know girly things yeah they'd rather sit down and and clean their guns than <laughs> yes. or or go target shooting or you know something you know like sharpen their swords or or practice yes and all of those things individually are fine like i i have enjoyed um target practice mm-hmm. but i also enjoy knitting or shopping for pretty yarn or something you know what i mean mm-hmm Yes, yes, that that is a beautiful definition, and they can always, in their high heels, run yeah. as fast as men in running shoes. Yeah, as, I'm sorry, I have worn high heels. You can run in them, but any guy, any guy anywhere, even slow guys, can outrun you if you're running in high heels. Well, I wouldn't say that because I, I used to be able to wear high heels and book it pretty well, mm-hmm. and. But, but a guy who can run a guy who can run so yeah. if you're looking at somebody who's as physically fit as the female yeah and they're both running yeah he's he's gonna tear your ass up out of those shoes oh yeah but and that's the thing too like i've seen women like book it in fucking high heels like they they own those heels mm-hmm. but you're still you put on a pair of running shoes and you yourself are gonna beat yourself out of those heels exactly so it's it's just ridiculous all of these little tiny stereotypes that fit with a badass chick takes away a lot of our our what makes women you know powerful i'm you physically scientifically cannot be as strong as a male who is your equal right you know if if you two are equal in in fitness and health and all of this stuff you're not going to be as physically strong as them but but that doesn't make you less equal Right. And that's what frustrates me with all of these badass chicks is that people are trying to turn them into dudes and say, oh, look at me. I'm just as powerful. You yeah. are just as powerful, but you're not as physically strong. You right. know? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, I, 
and I, I read this scene yesterday when I was going through digging, digging through war paint for stuff for the Wishbone Conspiracy. Where, and I have Herrig and Katie are in this fighting, in this, in this, um, what, what are they called? The, the little rooms where people practice fighting with each other? Dojo. They're in a, oh, basically, yeah. they're essentially in a dojo. And she tries to fight Herrig strength on strength. And he says, you are never going to beat me strength on strength. <laughs> he says, but you don't have to beat me strength on strength. Because when men fight each other, there, there is, there, it is genetically wired into us. There is this ritual. There is this chest thumping. There is this posturing. And then there is this fist swinging thing where we are fighting each other to establish dominance. And that is the point of men fighting other men, is to establish hierarchy, dominance. When men go after women, they're not looking for dominance. Estrogen has a completely different relationship to, to testosterone than does des testosterone. And if you are trying to fight testosterone with testosterone and you have estrogen, you're not going to get there. Yeah. So you have to learn how to use estrogen. You have to learn how to use who you are as a woman to win this fight. Yeah, I wish and that was kind of like known by other writers that... That that is how you make your your badass chick. A uh -huh. chick can be just as badass or more badass than a dude, yeah. but in a chick's way. Right, right, exactly but like that. Exactly. And Katie, by by war paint, uh, has learned how to use estrogen. I mean, what she is she has started into the path of using estrogen to win, and by the end of it, she has it nailed, and. <laughs> So, so with with that, with is there that, anything else you wanted to add to the badass ca chick character before we get into the questions? Or? I think that's it. I think you okay. defined it really well, and and that's all of the high heeled witches with with guns and all of the 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 urban fantasies where these are one note characters who are men in high heels. That's they're missing the point, which is that women, if you want to write female characters and you want your female characters to be cool as female characters they have to use estrogen because yeah. that's part of what being female is yeah so, and that one thing just to say too is that a lot of these women are writing these badass characters wanting to to be an inspiration wanting to for for younger like millennial readers if, if you know or or below to read this and want to be a badass if you are shunning or or shaming them for liking girly things because that's basically what you're doing yeah if you're turning this person into a chick or the a, a dude basically that looks like a super hot chick yeah. and you're taking away all of the femininity and saying like oh i hate shopping shopping it's for losers and and like i understand holly hates shopping yeah i hate but, shopping but, but it, i it, i don't and there's yeah. a lot of people that that you know if, if you're shunning everything that the reader likes and shaming them for liking them because they're a woman and saying that you shouldn't do this you, sh you shouldn't like things just because that is a gender stereotype i absolutely agree but if you're shaming these people for the things that they love you're not creating a a inspiring person you are what social engineering you yeah, are you are you are, yeah. you are setting down limitations and saying well if you're this kind of woman you don't get you to call yourself a, a woman badass. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah i'm sorry i just i, I wanted to put that in there because yeah. we do have a certain amount of of um 
Hey, I grew up in the 60s. We had to wear dresses to school. Yeah. Um, we, we, we were told from the time we were little by most people that our job was going to be to grow up and have kids. Um, or yeah. secretary. Yeah, and, and, or, or to be a secretary um, or to, to run a counter at a grocery store. And that these were our highest aspirations. And my father, when I was seven years old, told me if I wanted to, I could be president. Of the country. That's freaking cool, yeah. Yeah, my dad, my dad, who, who, you know, for all of his flaws, there were some things that I got from him. He taught me how to do art. He taught me how to do stained glass. Um, he taught me uh, how, he took me hunting and fishing with him. Yeah. Uh, when I was nine years old, I was shooting a rifle and hitting, hitting bird's eyes on the target because he taught me how to do that. And he said, you can be whoever you want to be. The, the same, and here's how complex your people are, right? In real life. Yes. And hopefully in, in books. Right. This horrible, horrible man was also <laughs> taught good things. Now, the same person who wants you to be yourself, to create yourself, that tells you you can do anything, including becoming a president of the United States, also wanted you to marry someone he felt could keep you in line. Yes. This is how complex people, people are yeah. and can be in your writing. Yeah. That he wanted to me to marry a guy who was seven years older than me because. And I cornered him on this. I said, that's why, isn't it? Because you think he'll be able to keep me in line. And he said, well, yeah, essentially that's it. Yeah. This guy. So that's, that's what I'm saying. The same, same guy. one that told her that you, you could be president yeah. and taught you to be independent. It's just, it's character. People are amazing. And trying to take all the emotion out of all of the BS with that man. It's it's just looking at it objectively. It, it's the same thing with your characters. Yeah. It's you want to look for that complexity. People are contradictory. And your yes. badass chick, it is okay if she likes to knit. Yeah. Yeah. Or paint her nails. Yes. Or or she likes stuffed animals. Yes. And she shoots people and kills them, but she loves stuffed animals. There's that, that you give her a reason why. Right. But, but. Yeah. Again. So, you know, you're going to ask and I'm just going to go through here. What's wrong with this character? You know, when you look at your badass character as you have her right now, what's wrong with her? What's, what, where is, where is her, her flaw? Where is her, her thing that makes her something other than this one single, you you can't, yeah. If she is this one single thing, that's what's wrong with her. But, but you have to look inside of her life too, right? You have, yes, you have to, to identify what that one single thing is that you have decided is the complete definition of this character that you know that's okay well actually she's not a woman she's a man i have written i have put her in a female body but she's a man um what's necessary with this character she needs estrogen (laughs) she needs to have femininity yeah yeah, she She needs needs to be a woman badass yeah she needs when she is in a room with men not to be one of the guys she because I, i gotta tell you Having been a woman my whole life, uh, in spite of the fact that I played basketball with the guys on the basketball court when we were in fifth grade and sixth grade, um, and we were we were spelling out swear words instead of playing horse, um, they were not looking at me the way I was looking at me, which is, uh, hey, I'm just one of the guys. Yeah, and a lot of girls do that. A lot of women do that. Like, And I tend to be more comfortable with male friends. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had more male friends. My best friend is my husband. I, 
I know there's that mentality, oh, I'm just one of the guys. Or guys will joke around like, oh, you're just one of us. Mm -hmm. But in the end, the truth, they are not looking at you as another male. No. They don't, they, they, there's a lot of, um, even in male friendships, there, and I've noticed this being around a lot of bikers, there's still a lot of that dominance thing. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of that 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 posturing i guess or something yeah. even with friendships there is just this you know especially if they're around something that they're incredibly good at and they feel confident there's a lot of it there they don't have that when when you're a female with them they don't have that biological threat right there. you're you're not you're, on their rank of you're not on their hierarchical rank yeah you're, you're just not there that's yeah, not where you fit in their world not 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 to say that you're not there as a person in no. the room but oh, you're, you're not, there you're not yeah exactly <laughs> you're you're not there on the testosterone level it's like oh you're you're there in a different level yes you know yes. which is not it could be equal but it's not not it's not the male. same it's not one of the guys <laughs> no you are not one of the guys and you can never be one of the guys because there you no matter how much and you can be friends with men yeah, absolutely. But, I, it's that Harry and when Harry met Sally, men yes. can be friends with women. Yeah, but and vice versa. Yeah, it's not but. the same kind of friends. No, because boobs. Yep. Yep. Tits and ass. <laughs> let's just put it. Yes. Let's just put it as simple as possible. Yep. Tits and ass. Boobs. It's, that's what it is, man. <laughs> and if you don't acknowledge that presence in the room. You're lying to yourself. <laughs> and yeah. this is for men, too. You know, you, you, you cannot be one of the girls. You've got testosterone. <laughs> um, so you can be friends. But it's not the same kind of friends. And, and here's the funny thing, too. I've had a lot of gay friends, too. Uh -huh. Like, on both spectrums, male, female. And Yeah, me, too. Yeah, and it's, it's still, like gay guy you're still you you're you there is that term one of the girls or whatever and you're still fabulous and you're still freaking wonderful and you're still a friend but you still have testosterone <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah you can still walk into a room with a bunch of men the who are you with straight guys and you can pass <laughs> we well there's there's yeah, also this you know, this um yeah, because we're I we we're not getting into any sort of gender politics. We're no. not getting into any sort of um, transgender or um, anything like that. This is and this is only looking at everything as a character. Looking at all of this as as this base of characters, you you want to be able to see all sides mm -hmm. of a situation objectively. Now, right. you could personally feel, you know, like, well, you're pissed off because you're not one of the guys. That's fine. That's your own emotional reaction to things. And I actually genuinely get pissed off when I'm around <laughs> a bunch of bikers. But, you know, I don't have a dick, so my opinion doesn't matter. And, and again, this is not all of the bikers, all of everywhere. I have a bunch of male friends that are mm -hmm. bikers that, that treat me as equal. But there is still that that happening there right so you have to also have this objective side of you that pays attention to things like that and right. it's like okay well i can put that in my books i can use that with characters yeah that's there are some things that are inescapable and testosterone and estrogen give off pheromones these are things that float around in the air and that cause reactions from other people. This is yeah. biological. This is hardwired. <laughs> yeah, this is this is hardwired biological inescapable science. 
you get testosterone in the same room with estrogen, and there is going to be an undercurrent of shit there just because you have these two chemicals together that are interacting whether you want them to or not. It's just there. And you can use that in your stories. And yes, yeah. oh my God, you can get a million miles of just great stuff out yeah. of realizing that this is there. So that's what's necessary with this character is she needs estrogen. She needs to for the writer who is writing her to understand what that little biological chemical extra does to her interactions with everyone she comes in contact with. Um, what is outside of what the expected that motivates this character with the badass chick? Okay. You, you, well, this is, this is how to make the badass chick good, or are we going to give the... Yeah, this is where, no, this is where we want the badass chick to be good. We've already established that the, cur yeah. the current badass chick is just a guy in drag. That yeah. she is she is not written as a woman she is written as a man, and that's a problem. So you know the the way you give power to women is to to figure out how to do it while letting them be women. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what is outside the expected that motivates this character? So okay, so she's this badass kid, chick, and she can really do some serious stuff. She has she can she can seriously do cool things. Yeah. Okay. So what's different about her? What it what makes her something more than just that, and it can be something as 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 cute as collecting stuffed animals. <laughs> I love that. That was such a great example. It can be a secret that she hides that she is embarrassed by, because she is having to survive in this world where you have to be tough to survive. But somewhere in there, or or she has a kitten, or you know, and she loves her little kitten. And yeah, and she baby talks to the kitten, mm -hmm. and and she she kind of hates herself for doing it. And, and yeah. this is coming from from somebody who baby talks to the freaking cats. I never even baby talked to babies, but something right. about my cats. I'm like, especially Thea. I'm like, oh, you're so beautiful. Yeah, you know, do a swooshy face. Yeah, and like, oh my goodness, yeah. I just want to step on the tick because she lays down and it's like squish the tick, and that annoys me. It annoys me that I do it, but. I still do it. So you can right. do that with your your female character or if you if that just pisses you off cuz yes. I can't hear other people baby talk their cats most of the time. Right. But it this is me nuts. I think there is some sort of biological thing because babies hear high pitched noises. They hear them better than well, they yeah, hear low point maybe that pitched that's noses. What it is. Noises. <laughs> yes. So that's your voice as a female, your voice goes up when you're talking to a baby. It is again this survival thing that's just <laughs> wired into us and we do it matt when matt had only seen me with you guys mm -hmm. and joe was born and he's in the room with me and the baby and all of a sudden oh you did take you for the baby and i see this look go over his face this utter <laughs> shock and he said later, he said, I didn't even know you were in there. <laughs> he says, I he did not know. This is a side of you I never saw. I did yeah. not know. Because, you know, he, he got you guys when you were, what, 
10 and 12. I was 11. Yeah. I was 11. 11 9 and 11. We first met him. And then, yeah. yeah. But he even he even told me, like, he's like, I always knew she was a mother, obviously. But when you have a kid with somebody and you see all of the stuff with the baby and the intimate moments and stuff, it changes your perception of, of them. And I realized how much of a mother your mom was. I remember having that conversation with him <laughs> right after Joe was born. He's like, it completely changes your perspective. But that's that. So it could be the baby voice. It could be the stuffed animals. It could be um, just something that fits you. I love the fact that maybe she knits. I love the fact that maybe she is a she is really into designer clothes or like Carrie Carrie Bradshaw from Sex in the City. She loves her freaking shoes, man. Yeah. And she's very girly with her clothes, but she's very tough too. Yeah, like she, she's she kind of no nonsense. Yeah, exactly. She could be shooting guys. That. Yeah, yeah. That, that hand bow, you know, that that cross those those two pistol crossbows. But yeah. she's wearing Ferragamo shoes. I actually yeah. know a brand name. See? See? Yeah, you Me? did. Yeah. <laughs> or Jimmy Choo's or <laughs> and and she also um she she could be like she has this if anybody has seen Sex in the City, you know her kryptonite is men. She she an overall Who's? it's love. Carrie Bradshaw. Okay. Okay. Her not all of them, but just Carrie Bradshaw, her kryptonite is is men and and if you dig deeper, it is that fairy tale romance kind of true love that she wants Mm -hmm. so that could be your badass chick's kryptonite or special secret something you know yeah um so then you go on to what does this character secretly desire okay you've got your badass chick she is trying to save the world that we get what well this (laughs) <laughs> it's like what I just said with the love. It could be it could be that that her kryptonite is is a true love. Maybe right. That's all she wants. Or that that's a little I know that like, okay, the fact that in Leaving Wandalusia, I had this character who wanted that. I know that that irritated the hell out of the the one reader that I had. Mm-hmm. The 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 one um that went overboard on the the criticism and didn't actually give an uh, edit. I remember her. Yeah, she she couldn't stand the character because that's what she had wanted her whole life was just a family, and and there's reasons for that. She had had a very rough life, right? But she wanted a big family. She wanted a good family. That was what she wanted to be a mom, and she wanted to take her kids to soccer, and she wanted to, you know, she also wanted to do other things, um, but she had never really thought about it because her situation had always been so bad so that was kind of like what her desire was and you could make it that you could make it that she's always wanted to to just like katie katie wanted her freedom katie wanted her she wanted the stars she wanted to be out there Mm -hmm. she that was her space yeah yeah she wanted to see stuff she wanted to travel and she wanted to be out there in space doing stuff independently. That mm-hmm. was that was her. Yeah, and she finally found the guy who wanted to do that too, and the two of them ended up together. But but they are not all the time together because that would make her then just part of a pair. And yeah. so he has his thing that he's doing. Yeah. yeah, and she has this thing that she's doing, and sometimes they team up together. But in Wishbone Conspiracy, he's still off rescuing slaves because the galaxy is not free from slaves yet and so yeah. she goes off on this mission on her own and so yeah with the so with the next right char- so the next question. character yeah oh god i get so sidetracked 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then, okay, did we do what did she, yeah, we got the secret desires. Okay, so what is this character's greatest point of pain? And with the badass chick, you've got to say, okay, she, she is this person who is having to do hard, hard things. And she has had to make herself, she has had to form herself into this person that is very far outside what most women aspire to for a reason. What drove her to become so skilled and so tough? Where, where did she get hurt? You know? Yeah. Is it that she lost her family to whatever it is that she's fighting now? Is it that she lost her best friend? Is it that she saw something that she valued, the thing she valued most in the world, being destroyed? Whatever that was. I'll use um, Angie as an example. And there's actually a couple of different areas where she's been hurt. But when it comes to her biggest passion, other than probably Brock, apparently. (laughs) Um, Her biggest passion is the animal rescues. So in the past, when she was very, very little, she was always very attached to animals, just natural. And this, you know, this is a big part of me, just very, very naturally attached to animals. And one time she brought home a kitten and it was beyond her help. And I was also thinking that um, I have built some different different areas of pain from her growing up and seeing these cats. Um, and she's mostly att- attached to cats, but, you know, she still rescues dogs. But she sees the, the animal abuse and the animal, like, the the detriment of, of animals that, that are neglected to the point where you can't do anything so this kitten that she brought home if she had known what she was doing if her parents had known what to do they could have saved this kitten and that forms basically her whole future that she is going to know everything possible to rescue every single animal that she can every single time and she is going to do all of the work that she can because kittens there's it's no joke it's every two hours Mm -hmm. and it's not every two hours except for when you sleep it's every two hours you know if they're young enough so um yeah you got yours when they were three days old roughly yes so yeah yes and sylvester was one day old and he didn't make it and uh mr meowsers didn't make it he was a runt so it, it depends a lot on if they get the mother's milk first too so this Mm -hmm. this is all stuff that angie needs to know in order to do her job but knowing even at a young age her, I think basically what it was, was she had brought home this kitten and no matter what they did, it died. And, um, Phil, her father told her, I'm sorry, we just didn't know what we needed to do to help him. This was you and and that baby bird when you were 12. Um, I think it was a mixture of things, but that bird was definitely what, what I remember that where the story came. Yeah. And, it just yeah (laughs) but um also i remember and i remember from that bird when a couple of our friends got a squirrel i knew what they were doing was wrong i knew that they weren't feeding it what it needed and i told them what it needed and they didn't feed it the proper stuff they thought they knew better and the squirrel died Mm -hmm. so it's heartbreaking but it just adds more into that story It, it 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 creates that badass chick because she is pretty freaking badass. Right. 
But she's not guns a-blazing. She's not Katie out there in space and, and shooting and hunting down lost items. This is a simple, everyday badass woman who is still feminine. She's still in love with a guy and she's pretty girly and she's gorgeous, even though she doesn't know how to dress herself. And she just is a badass in a different way, which is saving animals and mm-hmm. loving kittens. <laughs> yes. Yes. There you go. So then you have, what is this character's greatest passion? And your greatest passion is generally born from your greatest pain. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Because her genuine greatest passion is saving these animals. And animals are, they're innocent of a lot of the issues that humans have. Now, they can still be violent. That's, That's part of their nature. They still have dominance and fight and kill each other and eat each other. But there is that innocence, mm-hmm. you know, to right. to a lot of um, what the human nature has, they don't have. So there's this instinct to protect them, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I just had a little revelation there. I just realized what both my greatest point of pain personally and my greatest uh, passion are. And it's just to belong someplace. One place, just just to have a place that actually was home after moving so many times. I don't even know how many times we've moved. I can see that that you and and that's in a lot of your stories too. Yeah, is where the person is wanting their home or to belong somewhere. And a lot of times the women fall for the wrong men. Like in a couple of different ones, I see the theme in Hunting the Corrigan's Blood is the same as Talon. When it comes to the female, they fall in love with the wrong person. And it is almost their demise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in in Fedara Conte's case, it it's kind of was, was life, yeah, <laughs> altering and and made her kind of evil. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's there's a lot of that wanting to belong in theme in in your work. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the thing that I never had. I mean, I, mean, I did, I did when I was six, seven, when we were living in Janet and Hutton, Ohio, and then we moved to Alaska, and that was the beginning of, you know. <laughs> The lifetime of moving. Yeah, of never fitting anywhere ever again. Ever. So, yeah. So, yeah, I just realized that is is like a core of my stories. Is that thing right there, that thing that I have not had since I was tiny. It also shows why the Tonk are so well written. Because it's a passion that you have for this, this whole entire type of person that, you know, this entire ethnicity basically of people (laughs) this vast yes (laughs) yeah that that belong Mm -hmm. that are nothing but yeah belong huge families that all get together for family dinners and i remember that before we went to alaska where we'd go to my grandparents house and everybody'd show up for sunday dinner and it was it was amazing yeah, Tony talks about that too, where his grandfather, great-grandfather was only, he pretty much only spoke Italian in the house. That was it. If you didn't know Italian, you were screwed. Yes. Yes. Because <laughs> Carlo was from Italy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so then the last thing here is what secret has this character been hiding from you? You've been working with yours, so... Apparently, Angie had been, and I just found this out this week... It's, it's that the reason why she had not gone after Brock was a little bit more complex than I thought. She was more respectful. Uh, she was also more resentful than I realized. 
um, her, her reasoning with Brock, because she's such a badass, um, it came across as this kind of meek, hurt woman that would never move on. But it turned out that she'd actually been with a couple of guys. They just weren't her thing. And, you know, she was still in love with Brock, but had accepted the fact that there are different kinds of love and that you can love more than one person and that she was ready to move on. And then he gave her the signal and that was it. And now... In a lot of romances you read, the man is almost the one that is that is going to pursue the woman mm-hmm. and wants the woman. And the woman wants the man too, but there's always this, you know, does he want me? Does he want me? There In this one, I'm getting the fact that Angie is not going to take no for an answer, is not going to put up with his bullshit. She already knows that he wants her. And... She's not gonna deal with his emo drama angsty bullshit anymore. And I, I I I really adore that about her. And that was a secret that I learned just through a couple of actions. Yeah. And and he realized he thought he was the hunter in that scene. And at the end of the scene he says to himself, like, you know, I was a spear fisherman and this chick turned out to be a shark. Mm-hmm. There, there's no spearing this, this massive 20-foot great white shark that just showed up and opens its jaws at me from behind. Yeah, so he, he just got owned. And I think he realizes that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't realize, he, he, he thought he was going to hurt her by um, in, involuntarily offering something that wasn't there. But I think he realized that he just hurt himself and he might not get out of this alive. Yeah, by not seeing the potential for what could be there. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting other half of the book because (laughs) he, his, his, oh God, when you read this, his life has just been going to hell and he's about to get owned a bunch by Angie and this has just gotten so awesome. (laughs) But... We do have other characters, and I we want to go do. through them really we do. quickly. Yeah, and okay, so let's let's kind of zip through these. Yeah. Um, okay, the tough hero is basically uh, the badass chick, but, you know, actually with the testosterone. Yeah, with so, the testosterone. But right. the tough hero, it, there's a lack of sensitivity. There is, um, you know, like a lot of the times they'll get shot and not feel it. Mm-hmm. Or shot and not react. Well, that's a, um, that's an actual real thing in some cases because of the shock. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but it's like um, even even later, once the shock goes away, once the adrenaline goes away, it's like uh, you know. Yeah, it, it's, there's, it's, there's it's, just it's that a scratch. Yeah, and there's nobody. Also, okay, one of the things I like in Hawaii Five O is one of the characters is a tough guy, but the other guy kind of likes to poke fun at that and shows how ridiculous it is Mm -hmm. so i think that there is like this dichotomy that you can get with a tough guy if there's also a certain amount of sensitivity there right if you're still making him human because a lot of times the tough guy is superhuman yeah he should not be girly because yeah yeah again testosterone has its things and and you have to respect that well, sensitive, I think, is over overblown in the way people look at it. A sensitive guy can just mean that um, if someone is in pain around them, he wants to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. 
that can be a certain sensitivity. Yeah. Awareness to to surroundings can yeah. it's is a form of sensitivity in that you are aware of your surroundings and that you are aware of the people who are around you. You are aware of what's going on with them. Um, and you are capable in that the, the testosterone male way of guys got to fix things because this is who guys are. This is yeah. what testosterone does. It fixes things. And occasionally it offers suggestions that estrogen don't want to hear. Yes. But yes. <laughs> but again, this is something else that you can use in your writing if right. you know the basic facts that women just want to be heard and men just want to fix. Yeah. So it, you know, it's it and again, these are overblown. Not everything is always the same, but Right. But this is the basics. Testosterone is really good at fixing things. Testosterone built a, a whole bunch of civilization. Yes. You know, testosterone will do a lot to get laid, including invent <laughs> biochemistry. And uh, just, you know. So the, again, that with the tough guy, that's that's kind of what you want to look at too, is, is that it's not just this stereotypical bulked up, um, you know, ex-marine kind of character, that the tough guy can be the the scrawny guy in a biochemical lab or whatever that that you know it who is, who is has fighting. figured out yes his testosterone is is going through his brain and he is using this yeah. this amazing brain to create something nobody ever thought of before and that's what testosterone is doing for him because and that's an anti typical right anti stereotype tough guy that right. is a tough guy. Right, that is that is. If you are if you are the guy who invents um, genetic engineering, that's testosterone, my friend. You know, <laughs> or architecture, or just all of these fields that have been male dominated because this is men built civilization to get laid. <laughs> and we're not saying that women can't do any no, of this. Women can do every single one of these things. Right, right. But you cannot you cannot say okay, well. Women have to be men in order to be successful. You yeah. know, you get to use your estrogen. And I, yeah. you know, I am very, very grateful for mine because yeah. there are some benefits that it gives you. So what's next with the tough guy? Okay, the tough guy, it's what's wrong with this character and that is that he is one note, that he is yeah. tough. I think that we can probably skip that on all of these, right? The yeah. what is wrong with it? Because right. basically the overview is they're always one note. Right. They're always stereotypes. Well, you have to understand, though, that you have to remember to ask that question. Yeah, yeah. For absolutely. each of them, okay? So the, the first question for all of these, uh, tough hero, ditzy friend, comic relief sidekick, angsty teen, angry jerk, henchman, stormtrooper, redshirt, cannon fodder, that's all one character, infinitely superpowered, and selfless hero. The first question for all of those is what's wrong with this character? And it is that they are just that character. That yeah. they go no deeper than checking that box, going, okay, I have fulfilled that spot in my book. I have my angsty teen. Boom, on to the next. Um, then what's necessary with this character? And let's, let's actually do all of these. Tough hero. What's necessary is that you have to find where he's human. Where, where he is not, and it doesn't have to be getting in touch with his feminine side. Guys are allowed <laughs> yeah. to be guys. Yeah. Um, well, I, okay, so here's a good example. Okay. I have seen men 
um, that are straight and, you know, big dudes, burly, Mm -hmm. knit. Mm -hmm. Because they like creating, they they like the the meditation aspect of knitting. They like the challenge. They like the idea of creating their own, you know, really cool sweaters or whatever. But, But they're also tough. Like, they could win a fight. Like, I wouldn't even want to try to see another man fight him because that would be really bad yes we're talking so, massacre here <laughs> yeah yeah and just seeing these big dudes knit is really really fun and cool and weird and and that could be a way to show their their you know um humanness yeah if you give the right motivation behind it but well, then they could be artists too you know you could have a dude that sits down and just loves to sketch mm-hmm. you know loves to draw the world yes, around him tough guy but yes, or cook. Oh God, men who cook. Oh, oh my yes, God, please, please oh. cook. See, so that's that is that aspect of the tough guy and giving him a little bit more dimension. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, here's another Brian, the guy who made our shirts. Yes, he is. He's like six four or something, mm-hmm. and he's big, you know, burly kind of dude. I mean, he is, you would see, and he's a biker. So you would see him and you'd be like, I'm not fucking with that guy. But he (laughs) is hilarious. He wears shirts, um, just like hilarious, awesome shirts. Like, um, I still want to meet this guy. Leah is, (laughs) or Leia, Leia is my Disney princess. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he, and he, he was wearing his wife's sunglasses um, because they were they were comfortable and he needed a pair of sunglasses and his wife's sunglasses were very girly. I mean he he that makes him this awesome, hilarious, just kick ass dude. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And but if you've seen Opie from um Sons of Anarchy, I call him Opie because he, he is that tall, big, barrel chested kind of just dude with the beard and the long hair and like you wouldn't want to mess with him but he's hilarious and he's got just this side that is is just very approachable you know Mm -hmm. and that makes him again he's he's the tough guy but he's human yeah yeah exactly probably going to be embarrassed that i said all this yes oh a sense (laughs) of humor goes a long way too matt oh yeah he's hilarious funny oh (laughs) anyway so let's do the next one then. yeah Okay, so for for all of these, you you're the next question for everyone for tough guy, ditzy friend, comic. Okay, is what is outside of the expected that motivates this character? Where where is there this part of them that you have not seen before? And you know that that I think I think that bird when you were twelve changed you, changed your life, put you on a different path. Um, I think that's very possible. I've I've always been very sensitive about animals. Yeah, you you and have. You always loved it's weird animals. That you mentioned the bird because I I, I remembered it mm-hmm. and it's always stuck with me. But I never really thought about that yeah. as being the motivator for um, all the animal rescue that I do. But we we couldn't save it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's. Um, See, it's like I'm still, and it's been 23 years, and I still don't, I like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yes, right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but this is, this. so what motivates, like, all of these different characters to be this kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't, I just, I don't know if we're going to get through all of these We can't. We can't. We cannot possibly get through all of these today. 
I think uh, we'll have to do a part two. We might have to do a part two, yeah, because well, I don't know. I don't even know where we are for in time right now because I can't see my clock. Oh, that's fine. So, don't worry about that. Okay. All right. So I, I don't want us to run over, and we don't want to talk your ear off. But well, <laughs> do we want to do a two-hour episode? Not today. No. Okay, then we should probably... Okay, Try let's, to wrap it up. Shall we finish get on tough our, guy? Okay, finish. We'll finish up our tough, tough guy then. Okay, so the thing that is outside of the expected that motivates the tough guy is going to be something like, I have this vision of something that I love, something that I love to do that I'm doing just because I love it. And for him, it's going to be something like cooking or knitting i'm trying to remember this one book that i read this this character was amazing he was um he was a homosexual male Mm -hmm. and he was um i'm trying to remember he was very flamboyant he reminded me of a friend of mine that i used to work with he was just absolutely um you know, in, in love and out and and he loved himself, which I thought was so fucking cool. Mm -hmm. And he was looking for a partner, but he was extremely picky. And basically he was just this, this guy and he took no shit. The author had put, and I can't remember this book for the life of me. Um, I don't think it was very good except for this one character. Okay. Well, yeah, Um, probably better that you don't remember the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have brought it. I I won't bring it up if I do remember it. Yeah. But um, he, the author also didn't shy away from the fact that there's a lot of um, antagonism in the world towards homosexuals. I think that that was an important theme in there. But the guy didn't put up with any shit. Like he, he didn't like to get physical, but he could usually shut people down with his words. Mm-hmm. But he would kick ass if he needed to. And he was, his best friends were women. And he was very, very, um, just, just bold and, and himself. And he had these little things that he liked to do. Um, I think he was an interior designer, which was very, very cliche. But at the same time, it, it was him embracing his love of this kind of thing. Yeah. But when you see a very, very flamboyant um, interior designing gay man in, in anywhere, the 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 typical reaction is he shies away from violence. He's he's feminine, and the thing is that's still a man with testosterone. Right. So right. he sounds so much like my uncle Nick. God, yeah. I oh, miss this him. and this guy would kick ass. I mean, this this guy, you know, he he was very mouthy if he didn't like what you were saying which i loved and then if you got physical it's your ass was going down he could follow it up yeah yeah Yeah, that's uh, that my that was not my uncle nick's thing but that was he had boyfriends though who were you know tougher tougher yeah 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 (laughs) but that's that's that is a tough guy he's gay he's flamboyant right he is he is a freaking interior designer he loves poofs and curtains and and you know duvets but he could kick your ass you know and that i always loved the dichotomy of that yes character yes and that's real people have layers and even with secondary characters you need they can't just be one note my uncle nick he and my aunt helen are the biggest inspirations for me they were they were first off my two favorite relatives (laughs) and because they had time for me 
and they were they were awesome and they had skills and they had passions they had they had these things that they were doing with their lives that were beyond the, what i had seen elsewhere and they took you know they were they were these wonderful people and they were both out within the family so my aunt helen would show up with her girlfriends and my uncle nick would show up with his boyfriends at these family gatherings and it was acceptable and i fucking love my family for that there were there were yeah. some places where i but but that these were our people and they yeah. were our people and they were the fact that they were who they were was okay and that that changed my life it allowed me to be who i am and it allowed me to write the books that i write and to bring in everybody and give and make everybody matter and and so that's part of what this is is you have to with these characters whoever they are you have to allow them to be real people and this isn't just your main two characters your good guy and your bad guy this is your sidekicks and this is your secondary characters and this is your background characters and this is people you don't even think are going to matter in the book which is a exactly why I put in henchmen and why you put in the stormtrooper red coats cannon cannon fodder fodder because even those people even people that you are going to kill off in this book matter matter because they if if they matter then your book is going to be that much deeper and I can't wait to get to them and this is the first part two that we've done other than the worksheets the world building one that I'm actually I'm actually really really excited for yeah because I can't wait to get through the to the rest but are we done with tough guy tough guy okay what is it we have what he secretly desires we kind of covered oh, yeah. that the the secret basically is the secret what secret hasn't he told you yeah right was right. that the last one um yes the secret that your character has been hiding from you yeah well it could be that he likes to knit or maybe there's a reason behind the knitting right or maybe maybe it was he, this favorite relative that that loved him and spent time with him and secretly taught him this skill that he has kept hidden his whole life because he was embarrassed by it. But this is his tribute to that person. So in secret, hidden away, in spite of the fact that he genuinely is this tough guy, he does this one thing that they taught him how to do because it gives him them. Yeah. Fuck. <sighs> yeah. I'll cut this part out for you. <laughs> Because we're trying to keep it happy. Yes, we are. And the, the thing is, though, this is happy because this is how you connect with these people you love who are gone. Yeah. So, it's okay, I got my alive. shit back together here. <laughs> it's how you keep them alive in a way. It it's is how you, how you continuously keep... have them in your life. Yes, how you give these people you love a life from what you remember that mattered about them. So you put them in your books and just leave it in. This is who I am. I'm not, let's not bullshit about that. <laughs> I am, I am a wuss sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially I think as you get older and wiser and you start seeing all of the things that really matter and you start, especially going through the classes and finding out why you put things and going through the podcast yeah. and finding out new things about yourself, you all of this has contributed to being more emotional about stuff too because you didn't used to be this and I think a lot of it was also that life was very hard and you had to be harder to get through it Mm -hmm. and now it's just you know 
Yeah, I love that you continuously grow no matter how old you are, no matter anything. There's always new things that you can discover about yourself. Yeah, this is true. But this is why I didn't want to go into the bird because I didn't want to. Yep, because yep, we, <laughs> we don't need two voices in the same episode. Oh, my yes. God, let's stop that yep. right now. <laughs> good good job. Good job. Yeah. yeah. Good job. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so let's, let's do a takeaway even though we're going to do a part two. Let's kind of wrap it up for this episode. For this episode, we'll, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, keep in mind, okay, for, for this episode, and we will get into these other characters next time. But both main characters and minor characters need to step away from stereotypes to give your story depth. They need to be more than just the reason you put them in the story because they have their own reasons for living outside of their one job that you put them in there to do. And the more you dig into that, the, the deeper your stories will be. Now, there is a, a conversely... Minor characters need fewer points of development. You don't have to develop your, your um, someone who only gets three scenes in the same depth as you do your character's best friend um, or your character. You, you, have, you have more questions that you ask, more reasons for the character to be who this character is. Um, and if you overdevelop them, they are going to come back. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say oh. they tend to to keep popping up, or they want more screen time. So yeah. it's better it, you can you can develop a a thir- a tertiary character, I guess we mm-hmm. could call them somebody who is not the primary and somebody who is not the the secondary characters, just somebody else there that's going to be in two or three scenes. You can develop that character enough in five minutes to create a good enough presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we can cover that in the the next uh, the next episode when we go over the cannon fodder and yeah. and stuff like that. Well, with Federa Conti, as since you brought her up first, I'm going to come back. I'm going to circle us back to her just for this last thing. Yeah, she was supposed to be a tertiary character. So we have Katie, who was a main character, and Badger, who was a main character, and Dan and Zoe, who was a main character, and then the guy who cannot be mentioned. And uh, Haskell Corgan were main character or were were secondary characters, and Fedara Conti was a tertiary character. She was supposed to be in a couple of scenes and then disappear. And I asked a few too many questions about her. And she doesn't just come back; she comes back with guns blazing, and just dominates. Uh, just but but this is not this is not a warning story. This is the this is a motivator to this, people to ask too many questions because Fedara Conte was awesome in the first book and apparently like I don't remember War Paint which sucks but I was going through <laughs> it for a different reason. Yeah, and um, she's in that too a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently she comes back in the Longview series. She so certainly does. So this is this is not a warning story. The warning story is um the redhead. The the oh, God. redheaded vixen. Okay. <laughs> or or my my original planner organizer that ended up wanting Angie for himself and deciding that no this bitch is mine I'm taking her yeah. I'm the new love interest like no buddy no you're not get the hell out of here <laughs> <laughs> yes well she was she was just following a wrong path from the very beginning she wasn't even a tertiary character she was just wrong for the book that book did not need an FBI agent and I did not. I was not at that point in my career asking the right question 
about does this character belong in the book? And the answer for her was no, no. The FBI does not connect with the world gates. That's but that's kind of the point of, of the tertiary character, right? Is that mm-hmm. we're, we're talking about um, um, asking too many questions. Mm-hmm. Oh, but she and didn't show up as a tertiary character. She, she, no, she yeah. came in, <laughs> she came in as a primary and yeah. introduced herself as a primary and I believed the bitch. <laughs> so I guess the the real thing here is if you ask like ask the appropriate amount of questions for the character you want to create. Right. Right. So you want to do that. And if you go overboard, then you're going to end up writing that character again because your brain is going to say but 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 that one that one has such a cool yeah. story and it's going to whine at you and yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i ended up doing that in um because i i had one of those moments when i was trying to fall asleep and my brain wasn't letting me because it was trying to figure out the story behind the brother in glass house and um it ended up creating a different backstory for a different character who is going to connect with the brother and it kept giving me all of this. So it was just endless. And I was like, well, shit, now I need to write his stuff too. Right. And that won't stop. That will absolutely get written because I didn't right. get what I needed. Right. <laughs> because got, these <laughs> questions, this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven questions. Okay. I'm going to read the questions out just this once. What's wrong with this character? What's necessary with this character? What is outside of the expected that motivates this character? What does this character secretly desire? What is this character's greatest point of pain? What is this character's greatest passion? And what secret has this character been hiding from you? Those questions will give you full, deep, fully rounded characters. And if you ask them about tertiary characters, you're going to get a bunch of extra stuff that you end up writing. Yeah. So... (laughs) Is, is that all of the takeaway for this yes, episode? Yes, minor, yeah, that's back. it. It was just, okay. yeah. Minor characters need fewer points of development. Main characters and minor characters need to step away from your stereotypes. Very cool. Okay. All right. So um, we will be back next week with the second and hopefully, most certainly, final episode. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, let's, let's try to run through that one a little faster. Yeah, <laughs> on 11 common uh, stereotypes, how to make them real people. So this is part one, uh, unexpectedly, and we will see you next week with that. But in the meantime, obviously, you know, if you have any questions or anything, um, you can leave them on the website, alonewithinvisiblepeople.com, or you can join in the conversation and be a part of the community at uh, Holly's Writing Classes. Just create a free account and drop into the forums and remember you also get automatically the um, how to write flash fiction course for free that is uh, or how to write flash fiction that doesn't suck for free. <laughs> you get that yes. for free and it is a three-week uh, course or workshop so you can follow us on all of the socials it is at a-i-a-r-w-i-p on both twitter and instagram you can also follow us on facebook it is alone in a room with invisible people and, uh, you know, follow us on Podbean. If you can hit subscribe, that would be great because those numbers, I guess they, they help us somehow. I'm not, I'm not really entirely sure, but yeah. they do. And iTunes. Um, you know, yeah. subscribe on podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you can find us. CastBox is the, what I use. Um, you know, YouTube. subscribe. Yeah, YouTube. YouTube we have, that is a Holly Lyle. She is posting all of the 
the, um, the episodes that we have, they, they post automatically. So, mm-hmm. you know, subscribe, like, comment, all of that kind of stuff helps. Share, you know, with other writers and share on your, your blogs and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all that good stuff. We appreciate that so much, really. It, and finding new people for us to reach out to and to create a bigger community and to help other writers is, you know, is Holly's passion. So this is really, really awesome. Um, don't forget if you want to see, you know, mom's crazy, uh, work, you know, all of the fiction and everything. She's sharing some of that at her, um, Patreon. So you can look up patreon.com Holly Lyle. It's L-I-S-L-E. And if you want to support the podcast, we have two different methods. You know, if you want to do just a one-time thing, we, you know, every, every single dollar counts. It's, it's a, it's big for us and we really appreciate it. You can go to, the alone with invisible people.com and on the top right corner there is a drop down of a way to support the podcast there's three different tiers we appreciate again every dollar and if you wanted to give on a monthly basis we do have a patreon and uh we have actually already worked out we have started working out rewards we have our first reward created the idea so i'm going to be working through creating that myself and posting that to our patreon so be on the lookout for that this is this particular reward is an all all tier reward this goes for everybody we're still working on the other two so excited about this yeah me too i'm i think that everybody's going to really love this and this is this is our way of showing you that every dollar counts because everybody's going to have an opportunity to be a part of this reward so um that is again that is aia WIP, or you can hash search the term alone with invisible people or alone in a room with invisible people. It will bring up our Patreon. We have three different tiers and we are working on the last two rewards. Um, so I think that that is it. We really appreciate you listening. I cannot say thank you enough to our patrons, just the fact that you guys are supporting us. And again, you know, I know we're small. I know that the, the, numbers aren't huge or whatever but that's not exactly what we've been shooting for we just want to help share what we do and what we know yeah and and (laughs) we want to focus on more in the future we want to include our readers more too so yeah we will be doing some special stuff for readers as well as for 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 our readers as well as for our writers yeah because we found that some of the people listening are you know both you know, and, and a lot of the people listening are, are people who have read a lot of Holly's books or, you know, maybe have really, really like a, you, you had a, a fan create uh, Talon's outfit yeah. for Halloween. Oh my God, and that was so cool. Yeah, stuff like that. So we're going to, we're going to have some episodes where we go into depth into Holly's books, which is great for people who are passionate about her books, but it's also great for the writers to learn the kind of in-depth stuff. Or if you have any questions about particular books, you know, maybe we can get them answered, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. If you, Um, if you want the down and dirty on any particular novel I've written, you can show up in the same form and ask questions. Uh, They don't have to be writing questions that go in there. Yeah. Uh, It can be just about, about the book themselves. And what we're going to do is we're going to post ahead of time the book that uh, we will be covering that month. And then you can get your questions in regarding that book. And then we will be able to, we probably won't be able to answer all of them. I'm not sure how many questions we're going to get about the books. Well, he, we have seen too how I do run on when yes. we're talking about <laughs> fiction. Yes, when you're talking about your fiction in particular too. Yeah. Because you get very, very passionate about your characters, which is great. 
So um, <laughs> these will be posted, you know, as uh, probably on the same same day as our regular stuff. This is our, this will be one episode a month, I think, maybe, mm-hmm. or one episode every six weeks, something like that. And uh, so, yeah, look forward to seeing what you guys want to contribute to with those um, episodes. But in the meantime, that is it. I'm going to say goodbye, Holly. Yes. Thank you for joining us and for supporting us and for hanging out with us and for asking questions and for just being amazing. We love you guys. And now a word from our sponsor. You want to write, you love words, you love fiction, but you don't know where to start or how to middle or where to finish. I do. I'm Holly Lyle, and I've been doing this professionally since 1991. And I know how I did what I did to go pro, and I'll be happy to show you what I've learned. Start with my free three-week flash fiction class at hollyswritingclasses.com.